I'm disappointed in our leaders. Sometimes I'm disappointed in the church. And of course, disappointment is part of life, and you have your disappointments too. But my biggest disappointment is mostly in myself. I am just not what I would like to be. And some of the disappointments pretty trivial. I wouldn't mind having a little more muscular physique and being five inches taller. And I'm not real good at basic home repairs. I'm disappointed in some sermons I preached and some things I've said from the pulpit. And I can live with those. But some of the disappointment runs really deep. I'm disappointed that I still don't love God like I know I should. And I'm disappointed at how much sin is still in my life. I'm disappointed in my capacity to worry. I'm disappointed in my penchant to be small and petty. And then there's some things about me that are so dark, I can't even tell you about them. And there's something in me that says, I am not all I should be. And my failure to be the person God had in mind when he created me is disappointing. You remember Popeye? You old enough to remember him? He said many things, but one thing he said, I am what I am. Now, Popeye wasn't terribly sophisticated. I don't think he'd been to counseling or had much education. He was just a seafaring, smoke-piping, pipe-smoking, olive-oil-loving sailor man. And when I hear that phrase, I am what I am, that's sad. He's saying, don't expect too much from me. I am what I am. That's all I am. Really? I'm stuck with being what I am? That's not why you and I were created. You, you and I were not created just to go through life in this fallen, mediocre, half-hearted uh, way that we go. You were not created for mediocrity. The word disappointment, you can break into disappointment. I am missing my appointment. I'm missing the life I was appointed by God to live. And we all miss it to some extent because of sin. And so God sent his son so that we could change and not be stuck with the same old I am what I am. Romans 12.1, we looked at last week, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Number one, we were created to worship God, to live in and with him. We are worshiping animals, every one of us. We all worship something or someone, and every other object of worship is an idol. God is first. He's the star of the movie, and you and I were created to be in relationship with him and submission to him and to glorify him. It starts there, and if you don't get that, the rest of this really doesn't matter. The second purpose for us being here on this earth is our topic today. We were created to be like Jesus. From the very beginning, God's plan has been to make you like his son, Jesus, who was the perfect human. In Genesis, God said, let us make human beings in our image and likeness. The our, our image there, is the Trinity, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and we were made in their image, and Jesus came to, on earth to show us what that image looks like. So we were created to look like him and to be like him. And all of us, whether we're Christian or not, were made in God's image and designed to reflect that image. But that image has been damaged. When you hear the phrase, be all you can be, you can't. You've been injured been distorted, and that's the disappointment. I am damaged goods. And so God sent his son to restore that full image that we lost and to show what that image looks like. That's why we're reading through the gospel on this series. I'm trying to encourage you to read the life of Jesus because he is the exact likeness of God, according to Philippians 2. He is very nature God. We say like father, like son. There's a family resemblance. Well, just as Jesus' son bears the image of the father, God wants us as his children to resemble the father as well and bear his image and likeness. 
Ephesians 4 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You were made to be like God and the good news is you can. You can put off the old and take on a new and take on his values and his attitudes and his character. And that's why there's so many teachings in the Bible about how we are to live. And there's talking about love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what God intended for us. And then there's teachings said we were not created to be sexually immoral, hateful, jealous, angry, selfish, divisive, envious, or drunk. There's a quote that says, we're concerned with how things turn out. God seems more concerned with how we turn out. One of you sent me a message last week. said, my purpose in life is to love as Jesus loved. Yep, that's it. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. That's what God intended for you, to be patient. He intended for you to be kind and not envy, not boast, not be proud. Love does not dishonor you, others, and God intended that for you. Not be self-seeking, not easily angered, keep no record of wrongs, do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Don't you want to be like that? Man, that's what I want to be. That's what we were made for. I want to be like that. I'm tired of the disappointment. So Romans 12.1 is our number one purpose. Worship God, relation with Him, has, that's the foundation. The next verse, Romans 12.2 tells us how to fulfill this second purpose. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. I'm tired of being disappointed. I want to be what I was created to be. And the Christian gospel insists it is possible. Popeye was wrong. You can change. It's not easy. It's rarely quick. It probably won't even be fully complete in this life, but it is possible. I've seen it happen in oodles of people. I've even seen it occasionally in myself. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to all that ugly stuff you see, the the stuff that disappoints you, like selfishness and hoarding and hurting and unfairness and indifference and lack of hope. Add, and I think I'd add this, because it fits today, don't conform to all the distractions of this world because there's so many things vying for our attention. Don't lose focus. You were created to be like Jesus. And this verse helps us show us how to do that. It says, be transformed, which is a passive imperative. Passive means the transformation is done to us. That means the transformation is not something we can do for ourselves. It is something done to us by someone else, and it is the Holy Spirit's job to produce Christ-like character in you and me. That's, that's God's job. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we all are being transformed. Again, there's that passive. Being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our transformation comes from him. You cannot produce the character of Jesus on your own strength. You'll be disappointed. Resolutions, willpower, best intentions, not enough. Only God has the power to make the changes God wants to make in your life. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and act in, in order to fulfill his good purpose. God in you, of course, is the Holy Spirit. But most of the time, the Spirit's power released in your life is quiet, unassuming, probably in ways you're not even aware of or can't feel. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in you. And he is in working in you right now, whether you're aware of him or not. 
Yesterday, I put fertilizer and weed killer on my grass. Didn't see any difference. Only by faith. Well, I know it will make a difference. I didn't see any immediate change, but I know it's there. And the Holy Spirit is in you if you're in Christ. And He does bring about transformation. It may not be dramatic, and it may not be overnight, but it's very real. That's all the passive part. That's only half the story. God has to do something in us. But be transformed is also an imperative, which means it's a command that we have a responsibility desiring the change and consenting to it and yielding ourselves to this transforming power. The imperative is that we are commanded to allow the transformation. God is able to change you, but His plan can get aborted when you allow yourself to be conformed to the pattern of this world. The Spirit in you can be quenched. You can suppress Him. You can squelch any impact He has in your life. So God's part is He's living in you. There's a power within. If you're baptized and a follower of Jesus, He lives in you. And then your part is the obedience and submitting to His leading and guiding. Eight times you'll find the phrase in the New Testament, make every effort. Romans 14, 19, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. 2 Timothy 2, make every effort to present yourself to God as one approved. Hebrews 2, 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. 2 Peter 3, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. I want to show you a clip. See if you remember this show. Weren't they the coolest? They were a big hit. Low budget, cheesy, but kids loved it. And the key to the show's appeal was the character's ability to morph. It's morphin' time, and these normal teenagers could access a power beyond themselves to become these martial arts heroes for justice. And their rallying cry was, it's morphin' time. And they would transform into this great ability to do extraordinary things. My grandkids still enjoy watching the movie, and it's on VHS. And it catches the imagination of a child to morph into this quick fighting machine. Hi, hi, and then they're doing all this stuff, you know. But I don't think it's just six-year-olds that want to morph. The desire for transformation lies deep in every human heart. I want to be changed. And it catches the imagination of a child to to morph, but we want to morph because we join health clubs, we get into recovery groups, we, we, we read self-help books, we attend motivational seminars, we make New Year's resolutions, we say, I'm going to do better. The possibility of transformation is within each one of us. Now, there's a word in the Greek, morpho, sounds an awful lot like morph, and it was the term used to describe the formation and growth of an embryo in a mother's body. That little baby morphs changes over those nine months and Paul used that word in Galatians where he says my dear children for I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed or morphed in you and I would like to change my headset here too but anyway the word in our text is translated transform is the word metamorpho from which we get metamorphosis the same word was used for Jesus when he was transfigured he was changed the same word is used in 2 Corinthians 3.18 we are all changed and I love the idea that I can change I don't have to be I am what I am now in one sense we've already been changed you are a new creation deep within the Holy Spirit has come in and 
taken over that core of your soul, and now that Holy Spirit is working with you to bring about the change and make it complete. And, and I saw this quote, the next Billy Graham might be a drunk right now. The next Jonathan Edwards might be a man driving in front of you with a, that obscene bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might be currently a misogynistic, profanity-spewing hip-hop artist. The next Mother Teresa might be a heroin-addicted porn star this week. The next Augustine might be a sexually promiscuous cult member right now. Actually, he was, but he changed. Now, Satan will lie to you. He's the master of lies, and he'll tell you some whoppers. And one thing he'll tell you, you can't change. You can't be fixed. You can't help it. But God says, that is a lie. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You may not be completely morphed in this life, but you will be morphed some as you journey toward your final morph. I read a story of a woman who'd been serving in a church for over 50 years, just doing all kinds of things, volunteering cheerfully, folding bulletins, working with children's ministry. And she told her minister at one time that she had been a belly dancer and did not believe in God. And she told her testimony of how Jesus had changed her. And I got to thinking, if God can change belly dancers, can't he change people with any kind of belly? Pop belly, big belly, beer bellies, bloated bellies, small bellies, six-pack bellies that make you sick. And every belly in between can change everybody. So I want to talk about what determines this transformation, what brings it about, what is our part. Number one is our commitments. You have to make a decision. I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to let him work in me, and I'm going to let him transform me. Do not conform, but be transformed is a command to realign your commitments. And your commitments can develop you, or they can destroy you. But either way, they will define you. The 12 disciples were transformed by following Jesus. And Jesus is inviting us, if we will decide to follow him, he'll change us. Tell me what you're committed to, and I'll tell you what you'll be in 20 years. We become what we're committed to. Second, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our thinking will determine our transformation. Behind everything you do is a thought. Every behavior is motivated by a belief. Ephesians 4, 17, I want you to notice all the references, the thinking and the mind. It says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They live a certain way because of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding Separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Thinking, ignorance, understanding, hardening of hearts, which is stubbornness. We have to change our thinking. In fact, the word repent is a word in the Greek, metanoia, which is a change the mind. Change your mind when you repent. And you think, change the way you think by adopting the way God thinks. And you can't change your life just by willpower. You have to let God work in your mind. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says, stop thinking like children, but in your thinking be adults. Now, babies are, by nature, cute. Yes. What else are babies? By nature, selfish. They think only of themselves and their own needs. They are incapable of giving. They're immature. That's baby thinking. I think the biggest sinners in the world, after watching grandkids, the biggest sinners in the world are four-year-olds. I have seen it. There's more selfishness and rebellion at that stage, maybe the early teen years too. I don't know if they're next, but 
The sin nature is just becoming fully present in that four-year-old. It is the height of immaturity. Stop thinking like children, Paul says. Romans 8.5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Your mind matters. And if your mind doesn't change, you won't change. So what are you feeding that mind? Are you letting God's mind into yours? Are you letting him change your mind through his word, teaching and preaching, through music and reading? What are you putting in? Good input, bad output. No, it's good input, good output. Bad input, you'll have bad output. Here's another book I want to suggest, Crazy Love by Francis Shan. I know some of you read it. It's basically about what it means to be a disciple. And it'll blow your socks off. For me, reading stuff like that transforms my mind. I am most spiritually healthy when I'm reading the right stuff. Another part of transformation is what we love. James K.A. Smith is a philosophy professor. He says human beings are fundamentally lovers. And Smith argues we can't not be lovers. We can't not be desiring or have a passion for something. The question is not whether we love, but what we love. We will all love something. And for Smith, Descartes' maxim, I think, therefore I am, really should be, I love, therefore I am. I become what I love. Have you noticed when people have been married a long time, you know, 40, 50 years, they think alike, and they act alike, and even sometimes look alike, and they just fit together. Love makes you more like the person you love. Uh, and we are called the bride of Christ, the love of his life, and we are to be the love of he is to be the love of our lives, and we will become more like him if he is the love of our lives. One of my prayers this year has been to develop a better love life. Not with Ellen. I think that one's okay. I think. But I want a better love life with God. I'm committed to him. My mind is oriented toward him, but I want my heart, my passion to be more for him. And then one other area, besides our commitment, our mind, and our love, it was Aristotle who said our habits ultimately change us. And we are what we repeatedly do. Get into the habit of Bible reading, the habit of worship, the habit of praying, the habit of fellowshipping with God's people in Sunday school or a small group. Your commitment, your mind, your heart, and your deeds, all critical to your transformation. You submit to those four areas, you'll change. Guarantee it. That's our part. What's God's part? How's the Holy Spirit work in us? I'm going to give you some tools of the Spirit. I'm not sure how he works. All I know is he does. But I'll give you some tools in which he works. One is through God's people. In many religions, the people considered to be the most spiritually mature are those who isolate themselves. They go to a monastery, go off to a mountain, unaffected by contact with other people. And I can see there is some merit to that. And we have people in Mount Pulaski today who would say, I don't need people. I don't need the church. I, I don't need those who have faith. They, and they have their own private faith. Sometimes they'll watch a TV preacher that they like or something like that. That actually is more Buddhism than Christianity. It is a gross misunderstanding of spirituality. Maturity is not soli solitary. It's not an individual pursuit. But for so many today, it has become a self-centered godliness and a self-centered self, -centered self 
I don't know, self-imposed godliness, that's an oxymoron. We need people. You cannot grow in isolation. Why? Because spiritual maturity is all about learning to love like Jesus, and you can't practice being like Jesus without being in a relationship with other people. You need the fellowship. The Bible talks over and over about how we need one another. Most of the New Testament was written to the church and not to individuals, and I'll touch on more of this coming week. But you need people. Second of all, God works in circumstances. He works through life. Good things, bad things. He uses temptation. Uh, he uses victories, defeats. One of the best ways he works is through problems. No one skates through life problem-free. In fact, we could say life is just a series of problems. You solve one and another one comes along. Johnny Erickson Tata became a quadriplegic in a swimming accident as a teenager, and God used that tragedy in her life to transform her. And she once said, when life is rosy, we may slide by with knowing about Jesus, with imitating him and quoting him and speaking of him, but only in suffering will we know Jesus. My prayer life is always richer when I'm suffering. God could have kept Joseph out of jail. He didn't. Why didn't he? He could have spared Moses his problems. Why didn't he? He could have kept Daniel out of the lion's den. Why not? He could have kept Paul from being shipwrecked three times. He could have protected them all. And he could have kept us from having any problems in our life. But he lets them. So the Spirit can transform us. Are you going through a problem right now? The Holy Spirit wants to use that. The third means through which the Holy Spirit works is God's Word. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. The first thing you have to do is to accept the authority of His Word. His Word will be my counselor, it will be my guide, it will be my go-to manual for decisions and the benchmark for evaluating everything. The most important decision you will make is what will be the authority for my life? And you determine to ask, what, will the Bible, what does the Bible say about whatever might be facing you? Matthew 7, Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. He hears my words. I am disappointed in myself. But I'm also changing. I see it. I am different than I was 10 years ago. You will be different than you were 10 years ago. And you'll be different 10 years to come. But will you be better? Because of circumstances, because of God's people, God's word, they've all been shaping me and forming, and I've seen a difference. God is wanting to make me more and more of what I was created to be. And I've noticed, I don't get angry near as much as I used to. And when I do, it's less volatile. I worry less than I used to. I still do, but it's not as bad. I trust God more than I used to. I'm not there. I'm not yet complete. But God's doing things. And it's been good. And it's good to know when you're becoming a little bit more of what God intended you to become. I, I want you, you to join the journey. You'll be glad you did. So here's your assignment. Continue reading the life of Jesus. He's our model. Revise your purpose statement. If you haven't started that, do it in writing. Why am I here? Why am I on this earth? Write it out. In what ways has God changed you? He's already in you. And if you're a follower, how's he already changed you? And number four, what is one habit you can do today to allow the Holy Spirit to transform you? One change. Let's pray.
Lord, you made us to be like Jesus. You made us in your image so that we can reflect that image. But we have been damaged. And Jesus has come to repair that damage. Thank you that transformation is possible. Thank you that we are changing. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us to bring it about and to make us what you designed us to be. I pray that our commitments, our thinking, what we love, and our habits will be submitted to you so that your spirit can work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.